We have a special guest joining us today for our view from Victoria. We've got McLean Kay with us, Editor-in-Chief at The Orca. Hi, thanks for being here. Thanks very much for having me on. Well, we wanted to talk about, didn't want to miss out a chance of what's going on over in Victoria. Uh, You've obviously been also going to a lot of these press conferences with Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix. Do you get a sense, McLean, that there is a worry within the BC government about the travel that people might be starting to do? I think there's some sort of low-level concern, yes. Uh, I think they're aware that with more travel will bring more risk and, and probably more cases, but uh, I think they uh, it's not like it's uh, a panic. They're, they're aware that there's some risk, but they, they're taking the steps they feel they need to manage it. Right, because, I mean, if they start getting on airplanes, you could tell that what, from what um, Adrian Dix was saying the other day, though, not very happy with the federal government, though, for what's going on with the airlines. Yeah, the decision to allow uh, airlines to uh, fill their planes to capacity, which I guess started yesterday, uh, I think almost caught them off guard. And uh, it does make it does seem to undermine some of the steps that have been taken both internally and and at things like airports and, and screening visitors. And in fact, the BC uh, Center for Disease Control isn't tracking airline passengers anymore and hasn't for several months if they've been um, exposed to COVID-19. Really? And yet just this week we heard there was a couple of Air Canada flights where people were exposed. Yeah, possible exposure on three different flights um, from places as different as Saskatoon and Los Angeles. And so instead of uh, tracking down the passengers directly, they're sort of uh, asking, you know, floating reports through the media and asking asking them to self-monitor. So hopefully if you're listening to this and you're on one of those three flights, uh, I think it's Saskatoon, Toronto, and Los Angeles. Uh, I hope I have that right. Uh, please uh, be aware that you <laughs> might yeah, have been exposed. No kidding. Yeah, people can check online at globalnews.ca for more info on that for sure. Do you get any kind of a sense that things are uh, kind of returning back to normal in Victoria, McLean? Because we're starting to see a bit more of politics as usual. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think politics sort of took a, a breather here, um, uh, which was kind of welcome for a few months, and it it was uh, in marked contrast to places like Alberta, where it, it did not stop, <laughs> or even in Ottawa. But yeah, there's definitely a sense that the the three parties are more feeling more comfortable and uh, more willing to take shots at each other. Has have you seen that kind of in question period, or even in the hallways? Well, not in the hallways because we're not supposed to oh, be in right. the hallways. Of course. But, uh, but from talking to people, absolutely. Um, I have gone in once or twice to uh, the legislature and in the sessions, but. I mean, it, it's nothing like the usual volume of traffic, even on the days when uh, the House has been sitting. Uh, so it's you don't get the usual buzz and you don't get the same sort of face-to-face, uh, you know, catching up. But from what I've heard, yes, absolutely. And from the people I've talked to, it, it's, it's starting to feel a little more normal, for better or worse. Right. Do you think that's kind of good news for the opposition then? They can perhaps start to get some traction on a few things? Well, I think so. It's probably that they have... I don't want to say they've given the NDP a free pass on healthcare. They have been working with them very cooperatively. Mm-hmm. And uh, Adrian like Dix, oh, absolutely. And it's been necessary. It's been a pandemic. And I think it's been, it's been good for everyone. And Adrian Dix has said so on a number of occasions. He singled out the Green and uh, BC Liberal health critics for working with him behind the scenes and not even looking for credit. Uh, but, I mean, the role of an opposition is to uh, try and poke holes and, uh, and raise questions and then make sure that everything is being uh, given the attention it deserves. And so if that's, uh, it's a good thing and it's in fact healthy for our democracy, if they can get back to doing that. Right. Cause there was the little, this kind of spat this week over where the BC liberals were spending taxpayer mm-hmm. money on ads, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I actually have a little different uh, view on this and that okay. I used to do caucus advertising about eight years ago. 
Um, and so um, I can absolutely understand how this happened. Um, this is something that they, obviously they regret and uh, I think they're embarrassed by. But at the same time, it's not like they were endorsing the views. Right. Uh, they, they submit ads probably uh, maybe even months in advance of publication. And there's no way of knowing what it's going to appear next to. Uh, I mean, your sponsors would be unhappy if you and I started telling offensive jokes right now. It's not going to happen. But uh, unfortunately, it looks like they got caught here uh, and they're embarrassed. But um, it, it shouldn't be suggested that they were you know, endorsing or even knew what was appearing next to their ads. Right. So how is that decision made then? If you have experience in that, how do you decide where to advertise, where not to advertise? In a lot of cases, it's sort of a long-term um, understanding. Uh, it'll, I'm, I think in this case, it's a magazine they've been advertising with for years. They were probably approached... Uh, like there are a number of uh, local community uh, publications. Sometimes, uh, I guess this is a religious one, but there's also, you know, ethnic community ones and, and local community ones uh, where it's the advertising is sort of almost done as a public service. Hey, we're a small niche publication. It'd be great if you could spend $500, $1,000 on an ad. And usually it's, I don't want to say rubber stamped, but the answer is usually yes. And uh, they see their, their role is to support little publications like this. I'd be shocked if anyone who works for Caucus has ever read the Light magazine or indeed right. most of the little publications they, they advertise in. I feel like this is one of those things where every party should be careful. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That, that you know what? Oh, yeah. yeah, point fingers, but you never know when that one's going to come back to bite you. Well, absolutely. I mean, as I say, I think there's a number of uh, publications in, in some of the various communities where, I mean, if you uh, examine with them with a really closely, you'd see that there are some things that the caucuses definitely don't agree with. And, uh, you know, the BC Liberals are the ones that got embarrassed this time. But I am absolutely positive the NDP and Greens are, are sort of hoping against hope that nothing nothing similar emerges for them. As I say, it's you know, caucus resources are not great in terms of staff. And so the idea that they are, you know, carefully reviewing all these publications, just it's not happening and it's not going to. Uh, let's talk about what might be coming up next week as well. So more info, it sounds like, on the opioid overdose numbers. Yeah, I, I suspect it's going to be more bad news, to be, uh, to be uh, perfectly honest, mm. and uh, I'm not really looking forward to that briefing. Uh, it is depressing. It's um, the other epidemic, and I think it's, been, uh, it, it's taken more lives here than, than COVID, and we've been talked about the pandemic almost, uh, the exclusion of all other topics for months. But uh, I think, um, uh, hopefully, the, uh, the opioid epidemic can start getting the attention it deserves, because... I mean, you talk about the uh, getting back to normal here in Victoria. Yeah. Uh, it's the streets here where I live. I, I live a couple of blocks away from one of the tent cities that grew up. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's ugly, it's grim, and obviously something needs to change. It's so tough, though, because I know that just from doing this job, we've talked a lot about the opioid overdose yeah. crisis. And quite often you get response from people going, well, this doesn't affect me, so why are you talking so much about it? And I think the difference is that, for, and they're wrong, because it does affect them, right? Absolutely they, people does. think it doesn't affect them, and then they think that COVID, and they write about that too, that COVID does affect them more broadly, as opposed to the well, opioid overdose crisis. I think there, I mean, you're absolutely right. It does affect them. I know it affects me directly in terms of, uh, you know, what I see outside my doorstep every yeah. single day. And I'd be, you know, kidding myself if I didn't think it wasn't in some ways even more of a risk to, to myself and my family. But I mean, I guess they have a point. You can't catch, you know, uh, an addiction through bad luck uh, I, or you know, I, through the air. I like to tell but, them that you probably know somebody like this affects yeah, exactly. you. You don't know who that person is. 
Well, that's exactly it. I mean, how many cases have we seen in the news? Of uh, I remember there was a, a Gulf Islands yoga teacher that I had met once or twice who was you know, a healthy guy in his 30s who uh, died of an overdose. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, there's literally thousands of these, and it starts to become overwhelming. And I, I think that a lot of it is people just don't want to believe that you know, their next door neighbor, their uncle, their aunt, yeah. their best friend also is nursing um, an addiction through, and a lot of times, uh, something that he was prescribed for originally. That is so true. And I think you don't know until it happens to you, right? Until you, yeah. it's somebody that you know. And I don't know, I struggle with that, McLean, about how to make people understand that and how to get people to care more about that. I, you know, in some ways, I think COVID has probably uh, put a dent in uh, the, the sort of the curve, if you like, of people coming to grips with the opioid epidemic, because obviously we had to focus on, on COVID. But mm-hmm. I, 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 like you, I, I struggle to think of how we can sort of explain. I mean, the, the raw numbers don't, didn't seem to be doing it. No. Um, but, uh, you know, for those of us who live downtown uh, in a place like Victoria or Vancouver, I, it's... It's hard not to see it. It's yeah. To me, I struggle to understand how people don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that one, especially given all the times we've talked about it. But listen, McLean, thanks so much for being with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Appreciate your time. That's McLean K, Editor-in-Chief at the ORCA, BC Legislature reporter as well. Uh, that's the thing about the opioid overdose crisis. So many of those overdoses happen in private homes, so you don't see it, right? It's not obvious to you. You don't think it's your neighborhood, but quite often it actually is. And those numbers coming out next week, you'll be hearing more about them for sure.